Welcome everyone to the Well-Read Dames podcast. Today we're doing an author highlight with international best-selling author Craig Martell. Craig, thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Up here uh, in the subarctic, it's five minutes after eight my time and it's still pitch black outside. Oh my gosh. Yes, I imagine. I have a lot of questions about living in Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) I'm over here in the Midwest, so it is noon my time. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good to go. Good to go. So besides, you know, living in the subarctic, as you put it, do you want to first tell um, our listeners about yourself, anything you want them to know before we just kind of get talking? No, I, I, sure. I retired from the Marine Corps. Then I got a, then I uh, decided it was time to, to be adult. So I went to law school. I put myself through law school, uh, got my law degree, then went into business consulting uh, contracts and stuff like that and business organization. And uh, that was uh, very lucrative and long lasting. However, I was uh, spending more and more time away from home. So I decided now nah, I need to do something where I can be at home. And I retired from that and uh, picked up this uh, this writing gig. And uh, here we are, uh, an incredible uh, gig that is now a publishing business and everything that goes along with that. That is fast. That's a great journey. It's a fascinating journey. Um, so when did you actually begin writing? Did you ever kind of play around with writing when you were in the Marines or when you were in law school? Um, not that you would have had a lot of time probably in law school to play around with writing. <laughs> No, uh, actually, I started writing when I was 12 or 13 because uh, this incredible game came out called Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it uh, talk about fertile imaginations. And plus, we lived in an area where there weren't a lot of kids my age. My brother is eight years older than me, and he had this incredible science fiction collection, the Daub books where you flip them over, and they're one book on one side, one book on the other, all, all the Conan books and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. And so I read an awful lot when I was uh, when I was young. And then Dungeons & Dragons, it's like, ah, I get, I get to create my own stories. So I actually wrote a book when I was 13. It was 30-some thousand words because that was the uh, cutoff. needed to hit 30,000 to have a real book <clears throat> at that time. I'm a child of the 60s, so it was a long time ago. <clears throat> and uh, then it, I drifted away because whatever I do, I give myself <clears throat> completely to doing that one thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I, uh, it's uh, coffee time. <laughs> I'm the uh, So... I, I uh, joined the Marines, and I did Marine stuff for 21 years, and uh, I was an intelligence officer, so uh, I did intelligence stuff. I wrote a lot of stuff. Of course, none of it ever got to see the light of day uh, beyond uh, where it was written. And then uh, in business, in law school, I wrote an awful lot, but it was all legal-related. And then in, as, a, as a business diagnostic specialist, I wrote an awful lot, but it was for the business and leadership and stuff like that. So... Uh, now that I'm writing stories, I uh, much, much prefer writing for myself as opposed to uh, creating products for others. It's a big difference there between legal writing and <laughs> and writing for, you know, writing for fun, writing fiction. Um, and I want to say thank you for your service. I know it, my husband was in the Army. It always makes him uncomfortable when people say that, but I just want to <laughs> say it. Um, sure. So thank you for that. Um, and I hope I didn't make you uncomfortable. But <laughs> no. so I know that writing for, for me, because I did not have as similar as a background and I unfortunately have never played Dungeons and Dragons as a child. Isn't that sad? <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. Your husband should, uh, and you should, uh, fire up a game and play. We should. Yeah. We are, um, 
my stepdaughter is uh, 13 now. And so she's kind of at that age where we've started playing Risk and we've started playing kind of more complicated games. Okay. And so I think we'll probably get that because like you said, it's great for creativity. Yeah. Um, and I, when I was little, I had this idea and I think it was probably six or seven because I I just kind of gotten good at reading that if I could read everything, I would know everything. And so I remember I tried to dedicate like a summer just to reading and that was kind of my my intro to fiction and all sorts of different worlds. So, and now um, as an adult, I kind of played with reading, well, with writing, you know, all the time. I wanted to almost major in it in college, but everyone that I knew that was doing that was like, you have to have a master's degree. And I didn't really want to do that. So I kind of picked a different major and kind of trotted along, you know, <laughs> just kind of writing for fun until I actually started to write my current book that I've been working on for way too long for real. Um, and that through trial and error kind of led me to the world of self-publishing and connecting with indie, other indie authors. Because, you know, before you're kind of in the group, you don't really know much about about the world of self-publishing or the word of, world of writing, anything really. Um, and so when I connected with other people, I found it really inspiring and encouraging. Um, and I see that you are extremely involved um, with 20 books to 50K. Um, so how did you kind of become involved with that group? The uh, first, let me, let me compliment you on on working on a book and writing a book and, uh, and and getting there and realizing that is a part of your journey and a part of your your being. Uh, writing your own story, you read stories, but uh, you always wish one thing might be a little different or another thing might be a little different, and so you can change that yourself by writing your own story, by creating this thing, by sharing some of life life's lessons. Uh, in twenty books to fifty k, changing gears. <laughs> This is a group for self-published authors, and it was based on a premise by uh, Michael Anderley that uh, if he had 20 books, just 20 books anytime, they, they could be written over 10 years, they could be written over a year, it doesn't matter, but 20 books, and they each earned $7.50 a day, then he would have $50,000 in revenue each year to, to live on. And if he moved to Cabo, 35000 is all you need to live comfortably in Cabo San Lucas in, in Mexico. So that was the 20 books to 50K premise. Uh, I joined Michael early because I was on K-boards and getting getting uh, pelted and, and beat by other authors saying I was a hack and uh, I had no business uh, doing anything until I got professional books, uh, book covers and professional uh, editing and, and all that. And I just wanted to know where do I go to look and, and what do I need to do? And Michael's like, hey, come on over here. I've got uh, I've got this new group that I'm going to start. I was one of the first 50 people that came over. And uh, I learned, I changed covers. Of course, I needed that. But I didn't need people to tell tell me, hey, you suck. You shouldn't be publishing, which is uh, uh, some of the uh, input I got that was, uh, let's say, less than helpful. Um, and some 70 books later and a quarter of a million books sold. I, I think I'm doing okay. So this, yeah. uh, you're a hack and shouldn't shouldn't be writing. Uh, maybe my first book wasn't great, even though that actually, uh, once that book was sold to a traditional publishing company who turned it around, changed the title, changed the covers, uh, had it edited. <clears throat> we turned a, a single book into a trilogy and then added a fourth book. And that whole series became an international best-selling series. So I... I even your first book has value that, uh, it, it, as we say, you can't edit a blank page, but you can blank, you can edit something. Even bad words can get edited and, and improved on. So 
that journey. It started there. It started with Michael, uh, who is a magnet for people who are willing to help themselves. He is more than uh, more than willing to give advice to uh, share. Here's how. Here's what worked for me, and that's one thing that we've made twenty books about. Is here's what worked for me. We we will not allow prescriptive, which is you must have a professional editor. You must get this artist for your cover. You must. There are no musts. There's one. There's one must. If you want to make a living at this, you have to sell your book to readers who are willing to pay for it. That's. That, if you don't do that, you can give away books all day long, but uh, you're never going to make a living at it. If your goal is to give away books and and be satisfied that you've written a book, that's great. But the 20 books to 50K group, the 50K part, that's 50,000 to live on. This is to make writing your business. So that's why, so this group and and being a business diagnostic specialist as well as a, uh, a total geek from the 60s, uh, I watched Star Trek, the new episodes when they were aired back in the 60s. So uh, mm-hmm. that shows shows my age. And, and now now I'm in control of telling those stories and, and presenting that stuff to the world. So I have my my creative side that I get to explore, which is now part time. The, uh, the full time is the business side and uh, and the group and the conferences and uh, helping other people. I get I get a huge benefit out of both writing as well as helping others. That is fantastic. I read your book, um, Become a Successful Indie Author, that that you wrote, and I found it very inspiring and really kind of motivating. Um, so thank you for writing that. <laughs> oh, I'm, ha- I'm happy to hear that. That's the intent behind it. Uh, for those who are listening, Ashley sent me a list of questions, and one of them was, what motivated you to write this book? And what motivated me to write that book was to save me time. It was a very selfish. Uh, it wasn't to make money. It was selfishly because I was getting a lot of questions and messages and, oh, hey, how about this? I'm like, hey, let me let me encapsulate all that. Let me copy some of my answers down. Let me add some stuff. Let me fill in here. Let me do some screenshots. And there we are. A huge time saver for me. So it's kind of selfish from that uh, standpoint, but it answered the mail and it gave a lot of people a uh, roadmap to get them on that road in the first place and moving forward, looking through the windshield as opposed to the rear view. And uh, I'm glad to hear that that you got something out of it. I absolutely did. Because like you said, I well, starting out, I don't have like I work a regular job. I don't have the money to pay a professional editor all the time or to pay a professional artist for my cover art, you know, and so it's kind of like a real do it yourself project for me. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I learn something, I have to then, you know, learn something different than I thought it was, I have to kind of learn it and figure out how to do it for myself. And so your book kind of showing that that was possible, and to not get kind of caught up in every $600 course that you see yeah. uh, was very inspiring because I looked at things and I'm sure like, I'm sure they're great. And if you can, you know, why not? You know, I would, if I could, um, but I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> that's, that's right. like, I, would be, I would be really happy if my book made $600 at this point. There's a lot to be said for realistic goals, goals and expe- expectations are the biggest killer of dreams. Because I expect to be the next James Patterson could completely kill your dream. But if you expect to finish and publish your book, now that's an expectation that you can turn into a goal that you can that you that will manifest. It will become real. 
You can go on Amazon and look, look, there's my book. You can give out a business card with the address that says, look, there's a book on Amazon with my name. I published that. You, you can do that. So uh, controlling your expectations, something like, hey, I, I'll be happy if I make $600. What if you make $600 the first day on that book? You can look and say, holy cow, I made $600. But then our expectations will change. Well, now, oh, I need, if I can make $600 a day for the next 100 days, that's a, like a gazillion dollars. This is lawyer math. I, I, I don't use a calculator. So that's like a gazillion dollars. So you manage those expectations by my goal was $600. i have made the $600 good, but what did I do right? Let me do more of that. What did I do wrong that maybe it should have been 1000 and let me not do that and let me do more of what worked. And that's the whole premise, the continuous improvement mentality that will take somebody who had a lower goal and didn't realize that their writing is really good and, and readers react to it and respond to it and throw money at their author, their new favorite author. And that, now what do you need to do to keep moving forward? I've uh, met quite a few authors who were ridiculously successful with their first book and have not been able to replicate that success. Because they, uh, it, it's like the castle syndrome. Hey, I should be playing poker with uh, with uh, Conley and Patterson and all those guys. <clears throat> and you're not. You had a great book, but then you write your second book and it's not received as well. What happened with the first one? Did you study that or did you rest on your laurels and not move forward? So that's uh, it's and 20 books to 50K. We celebrate success, but it's still the windshield. It's the windshield you're looking through, not the rear view. I think that's excellent um, because that's a really good point. And it reminded me while you're talking about that, you know, your first book being really successful and your second book, it reminded me of almost music albums. Cause I see, I think you see it at the most with musicians, you know, their, their breakout albums, amazing. And it creates a fan base and then they travel and they change as people and they grow and they do different things and they create the next album. And maybe it's a flop. Maybe it's not as successful. And then it's, it's kind of trying to get back and kind of replicate the magic of the first album, you yep. know? And so I feel like maybe that's a comparison. <laughs> I, I think, I think actually new authors are better off if their first book does not do well. Uh, not so, not so poorly that it's soul crushing, but mm -hmm. good enough, get some good reviews saying, man, there's some great words in here. There's some great potential. P potential is the best thing a, an author can have. Cause if you write that your magnum opus on the first book, how do you follow it up? And at some point, at some point, revenue for, from that book will drop off. So I was better off with my first book. It didn't sell at all. I sold like 53 copies, and uh, I think 49 of them were to my dad because he, was, he, he loved the book, and he bought copies and gave out to all his friends. But that's the book that a company, a traditional publisher said, hey, we're doing a lot of zombies, but we want to do survival fiction that isn't zombies and uh, we're looking for manuscripts and i'm like oh hey here i've got one timeliness so so that thing alone was uh, there was a, a certain amount of luck involved but i sent them the manuscript and they're like hey this is a good story it, it needs edited it needs a new cover it needs a new title it needs all of this stuff but the, the core story is good and that was as motivating as anything I could ever, I could have ever heard, as opposed to, hey, your editing is great, your technical proficient proficiency is good on the words and the and the sentences, but uh, I don't care about any of your characters. I don't care about the story, and that's that's the kiss of death for me. If somebody says I don't care about the story, then uh, dump it and move on. I mean, you've got to find something where people care, add three dimension to the characters. So uh, 
you can get there. Feedback is good. Having that first book, keeping you hungry, I think is the most important thing. And some people get to get the feast on the first book and then they're done. Yeah. Well, kind of to change gears, since you are now very successful, how do you challenge yourself now in writing? The, uh, it's, it, it's what I tell people not to do. It's a, a, a monetary goal. I want to have a hundred thousand dollar month and to get their, uh, productivity, but also have to have breakout titles. And I've got, uh, crime and AVs, five different series starting, uh, all, uh, all of them authored by co-authors. Uh, I, I am writing my old series, but so I'm collaborating on stuff and becoming more of a publishing company. Although I have a, I have a, a, a pretty heavy hand inside the stories themselves, so uh, they are true collaborations. But still, that's the that's how I'm looking at the growing the business to for these collaborations because also that that allows me to help somebody else who is who has a lot of potential as a writer. Uh, writes good stories, but they don't, uh, their sales aren't there and they're, they're hurting and they're suffering and thinking about whether giving up writing or, or doing something different. It's like, here, I, we can make this work. And finding those right collaborators has been significantly uh, uh, time consuming and painful as I've, uh, I've uh, fired, I think 35 was my last count collaborators who said, oh, I want to write with you. And then they come on board and they uh, either can't write or can't meet deadlines or, or various things that, that crop up. So it's a, it, it's a challenge to find the right people to write with. But once you do, uh, make that work as, as, as best you can. That's a really interesting thing. I've never really thought much about co-authoring, but I see it. We see it all the time. So many books are, are co-written. And so it's a really interesting insight on how to to make those relationships and kind of build those stories. Um, I was drawn personally to your free trader series uh, when I was going through your, um, your books. Um, and it's because one of your main characters is a cat. <laughs> and I was so excited by that because I've never thought about having a main character be an animal, unless maybe a supernatural animal. You can see, I've seen, you know, dragons be characters and um, things like that. But a cat, even kind of like a, like a hell cat, I'd not thought of before. Um, and so I am still, I'm not done with it yet. I'm almost finished and I'm really enjoying the relationship that um, G War has with, with Brayden. Um, so what kind of inspired you to write in such a unique character? I, I used to have cats and I found out I was allergic to them. So uh, I had uh, always had cats as an adult and uh, they look at you with an intelligence that, they're ready to say something, but they, they can't form the words because they're cats. So I, I just, uh, it's like, oh, if cats could talk. And that's led me to, I was sitting one day, and I love the, uh, I'm an old role play gamer, right? Uh, James Ward and his Metamorphosis Alpha and Gamma World games were, in, were instrumental in shaping my, the fiber of my science fiction being. So I thought, if cats could talk, and what would this look like in a science fiction adventure kind of setting? So, G War, the first sentence it came to me, ass. I'm like, that's great. What a hook! And uh, and so I uh, I wrote that down and I started writing and I kept writing and and uh, that book flowed very very quickly. I uh, when I started writing, uh, it was I write I started writing full time. I didn't uh, ease into it a little bit like you said. You have a a, a day job that uh, takes forty hours of your life each week. 
but it provides a, a, <clears throat> a financial cushion. I'm retired from the Marines. I uh, retired from uh, from business consulting. So I, I was okay. I already had a financial backing. Uh, so I'm like, hey, let me write full time. I've got plenty of time before I need to turn a profit. And uh, my first book I started, my goal was a thousand words a day. And that was the uh, uh, the one that the traditional publisher bought. And uh, sometimes I didn't meet that. And I was writing full time and couldn't get a thousand words. And then all of a sudden it started to click. Practice makes uh, someone better, right? Uh, if you want to run a marathon, your first day running, you're not going to get 26 miles. So that's, uh, I kept that attitude. And 61 days later, I actually had a 100,000 word book. And then my, my intent was here, let me set this aside. Let me do nothing except write another book. And then I'll come back to it after a month. And I did that. I wrote uh, the second book, uh, Free Trader One, in 27 days. So I wrote a book in less than a month, and it was my second book that I ever wrote. And uh, and from then on, I haven't taken ba- more than a month to write a book. Sometimes I have other things going on, but the writing part never never more than a month because once I get into the story, I get the words and and uh, and and let that story flow. I don't even know what the question was anymore. Oh no, you're fine. I don't even think I asked one. <laughs> but the, no, the, the uh, cat. If it. if cats yeah. could talk, it was as simple as that. That's right. <laughs> No, I love it. No, I also I have cats and and they are they're very interesting creatures because they're they're sweet and they're smart and you know that they're thinking something but you know you don't always know what it is and sometimes like recently my cat was like oh I love you and she was cuddling with me and then she just decided to like bite my arm with no remorse you know <laughs> and so they're very unique. Um, well, they're they're, so, they're always plotting how to kill you. So that's I know it's it's you know that so you assume that first but what else are they thinking that's that's where we're challenged exactly and I mean my cats luckily I've always had very sweet cats but yes you know there's that there's that aspect of are you cuddling on me so you can stop me from breathing like what's your end game here you know (laughs) pretty close to my neck you know (laughs) and so um so but yes, you you really took it to a more interesting spot about about the commitment of writing, which I I meant to bring that up when I was talking about your uh, book about becoming a successful indie, indie writer because I love that aspect. I remember when I was um, in college, I took writing classes for fun because you have to have like you know how curriculums are you have to have a yeah. certain amount of everything. So sure. I just started taking like, a, like memoir, like one more two more, you know, and I was just always writing and I loved it. And my um, professor, she was like never stop writing, always write 200 words a day. And I was like, that's easy, you know, but then over time, just sitting down and doing it, that's the part that you need to do. Um, And I mean, like you said, you could build to it. And when I, when I started writing, it was just out of boredom. My job was so boring. I needed, (laughs) I needed a creative outlet, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, cause I, I read a lot of legal documents and they're just, you know, your brain, you can just feel it leaving your body. Soul um, Yeah, it's just gone. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just started kind of writing like on my lunch break and then writing when I would get home when I had downtime. And um, and it kind of tr- came into, created this book and I loved it. And I started to kind of, I wanted to edit it, but I didn't really have time. So I just started to write the second one and I'm halfway through that. Although I, I now know I'm going to make some changes 
um, to my plot going forward. But um, like that's the part that I love. Um, and editing, not so much, although editing is so necessary <laughs> when going through. I remember I came across a, a paragraph recently and I was like, what was I trying to say here? <laughs> you know? It just didn't make a lot of sense. And then I was able to sort it out. Um, but I think that's such a good point because that's what I found really motivating about your book is you were just like, get up and do it, you know, create a schedule. And that reminded me kind of like a militant attitude of like, just like create your schedule, stick to your schedule. Don't veer from it. You know, if your goal is a thousand words a day, you know, try and hit your goal. And this is random, but um, I saw an interview between it was George R.R. R. Martin and Stephen King. Um, do you know the interview I'm talking about? I do. <laughs> when George R.R. R. Martin was like, you know, do you ever just wake up and think you never should have been a writer and, you know, you question everything and you can't get anything done? And Stephen King was just like, no, nope. <laughs> I write four hours a day and that's what I do. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I was like, that's, that's a big difference, you know, of just approach to, to the craft. So, um, and they're both extremely successful, obviously. Um, so, but I think I need a more, set schedule for myself to because when you try and find time for stuff it's easy to make excuses it's easy to just sit on the couch and do anything else you know yeah structure <laughs> structure is good structure is good yes and i need more structure especially when it comes to writing and thinking of it as a business instead of as a hobby i think it's how you're gonna, how you can take your hobby and make it into a business that's right it and doesn't really work either. And, <laughs> and editing is not going to eat your life here because you're going to look at it and say, you're going <clears> to <throat> read some of your paragraphs and say, these are inspired. And you're going to read some and say, what the hell was I thinking? But then you blend it all together. You get that macro level. And then after, after a certain amount of time, I've published over 3 million words. So now my first draft, I, I actually never look at it again. Uh, if you watch the video of Dean Wesley Smith's presentation in Vegas at 20 Books Vegas, You'll see that he said, hey, he writes the end and sends it on. There it is. I'm done. Uh, same thing I do now. I, I, and I'm very happy with that. And my editor is extremely happy, too, because I look at her, her edits when, when I get it back just to make sure uh, I'm doing things right. So I learn more on commas and capitalization and, and just try to do a little bit better on the next one. But she says, your, your books are really easy. When I, have, when I have very little time, I'll take one of your books and I'll edit it because it's so... Uh, it, it's easier to do. So practice makes you better. And and uh, you'll find that editing gets easier and easier as you go because you embrace the story more. And especially once you're you're getting a lot of words. If you're doing 500 words a day, it's, t it's difficult to get into that flow that where everything is just going nicely. You've got to go back, read what you just read. What, what, where am I in the story? Okay, what's new? And it's going to be a little herky-jerky. And that's okay because you can edit 500 words. You can't edit a blank page. You need to get some words down uh, to, to go beyond hobby of, hey, I wrote a story once to I get $500 a month income from my stories. There's a big, big difference there. And I think it's like it's stepping stones because I I could probably list 10 people that say, oh, I would love to write a book or I have a really great idea for a book. And like you said, until you write that book down, you have no book, yeah. you know. And so I think that like one, that was a huge stepping stone. And then going forward to write the next book, you said nothing sells the first book like the second book. And that really resonated with me because especially I love series. Um, standalone books are great. Uh, I've read really good ones. Um, but 
you fall in love with characters and the story and their world. And I think the more you can give people that, that's what they, that's what they want. And that, that will keep people um, reading your books and coming back for more. (laughs) And and from a, from a business perspective, uh, simply my journey telling you exactly what worked for me is not just series, but the long series. My, uh, my Terry Henry Walton Chronicles has made a, a great deal of money and that's, Book 10, I have as many reviews on book 10 as I do on book one in that series. Uh, the sales in book 10 is also is also twice as long as book one, and book nine is even longer than than the, than the uh, book one, two, and three combined. <clears throat> so, uh, And it's in Kindle Unlimited, so those books earn still earn very, very well. Long series with good three-dimensional characters give a little bit more each time, and the world-building one thing with the world building is you you reveal it as you go. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, what he did was he built the whole world first, but he also only wrote five books in the entirety of his lifetime. Now, they were some of the best books on the planet, but I don't know how to write that best book on the planet. And I, I, I'm, a, I'm too impatient to take 25 years and work as a college professor to build this world in which then I write a, an epic story. And uh, that's also, you look at some of the, the big ones, Dune, that series, it's an epic world. So you take this great world building and then you write your stories or you could reveal the, the world as you go. And that's the Free Trader series. What I wanted to do, I had the world in my mind, but I wanted to show the reader, here's a little bit of the world as we go. And and you you adventure through it with with me. Exactly. And I feel that when I when I read that that story, um, that book, you know, I feel the world expanding. Um, and I don't want to give spoilers, but, you know, as you go, you, you're on an adventure like you're the fourth companion, you know, with these characters. And and I really love that. Good. Um, what what would you say? Um, not draws you towards science fiction because we already covered that. But uh, what kind of books and series do you like to read on on your free time? Hey, hang on just a second. Earthquake. How about that? Uh, usually we don't get them in the middle of Alaska, but uh, shaking really slow and holy cow. Anyway, what was your question again? Yeah. I've got no crack Sorry. Uh, no, understandably. Uh, my question uh, was what kind of books and series do you enjoy? <clears throat> Good science fiction. Uh, I have to say I've, I have gone beyond fantasy. I, Wheel of Time I, I, by Robert Jordan epic fantasy but i i couldn't really read it it was uh uh too much uh too much for me i do like science fiction I, and i have to say i like standalone science fiction even though i have no idea how to realize success with standalone books i've uh all of my books are in series and that's that that uh, pays the bills and then some so i will keep writing in series however i love standalones like heinlein uh, andre norton these individual stories that are so impactful uh, Arthur C. Clarke, he's written a lot of standalones, but he also writes trilogies uh, uh, that that resonate. But you can see the first one is great, and then they start to drift off. Like 2001 was a, a, a great book, and then 2010, 2061, okay, they drifted off in quality. I think he lost his uh, 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 creativity with them and maybe got bored with the characters and wanted to move on. But uh, great storytellers are always looking for that impactful story. Do you have any literary heroes? Mine, for example, is J.K. Rowling. Um, 
I fell in love with the Harry Potter series when I was I was older. They're written, you know, when I was I was like the right age group, but I didn't read any of them until I was 17. Okay. Um, and she, you know, created this world that you can just kind of step into. And now literally you can step into it in California and Florida, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> because it's become this kind of empire. Um but do you have any any kind of literary heroes that inspire you? I, I, I do. And this may seem like an odd one, but D.C. Fontana, uh, she was uh, the creative strength with Gene Roddenberry for the original Star Trek series. And what she did was take uh, social issues of the day. Think again, it was written in the 60s, in the mid 60s, and she took issues that were divisive and abrasive and turned them into stories that that people were okay with because she painted it on the science fiction backdrop of Gene Roddenberry's universe. So between her and Gene Roddenberry, I think they were epic in their ability to take an issue and make it safe to talk about. I agree. I love Star Trek. They really like Star Trek really kind of helped craft our world that I feel that we live in I think today. So. Um, not, not just technologically, but like you said, um, socially as well. And, making things that were unsocially acceptable at the time that the show was actually airing and caused a lot of controversy. But like you said, you, you painted it in the science fiction world, not our world. And that kind of lessened the sting to people that I feel like would have normally been opposed to such storylines. Yep, yep. And I think it changed the world. I think Gene Roddenberry changed the world. I agree. He was amazing. Um, there's, I, I know because I was just recently <laughs> looking up uh, sure. for holidays for my dad, who's a huge Star Trek fan. There's <clears> so <throat> many good books about um, Gene Roddenberry and his, his creation right now that I, I have some in my to read pile. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, because, you know, I was raised watching Star Trek and then Star Wars and just everything was a fantasy or a science fiction world uh, with my dad. So it really change kind of, I think, the landscape that we currently have, um, much more than other shows. I mean, there's some, you know, all in the family, for example, which is not science fiction related at all. Um, you can watch kind of episodes of that program, and it's still just as relevant today as it was when it aired. Um, and I think that's just really interesting to look back at, to be able to look back at and say, oh, this isn't a new issue. <laughs> We've been talking about this for some time. Um, so uh, kind of back to you and your writing and, and your, your projects, um, you know, do you have any upcoming books or series or collaborations for 2019 that you want to talk about? <clears throat> I do. I think uh, one of the best and absolute best storylines that I've been involved with is uh, Metal Legion. Uh, it'll be published on December 17th, the first book. And we're going to publish the first four books two weeks apart. I already have three books stockpiled on this one. And uh, the story, Caleb Walker did the heavy lifting of writing the original, the initial story. And he doesn't have, he doesn't have the military experience, but he has a, a great insight and innate understanding of interactions between people. So I went back through the story and I cleaned up some of the military interactions and added my uh, 21 years in the Marine Corps in regards to banter and how characters would treat each other, how characters would look at things, maybe how characters would react uh, uh, in stressful situations, combat or preparing for combat or post-combat uh, uh, things. It uh, and that book, I, I uh, reread that, and I think it is is absolutely one of the best things I, I have in my whole library. 
So I have high hopes. I've worked with uh, some other mill sci-fi. It's military science fiction and called Metal Legion. First out in December 17th. Second book will be December 31st. And then every 14 days for at least the first four. So the uh, covers by Luca Oliastri out of uh, out of Italy. He does an incredible job with 3D modeling and setting up and then typography by Jeff Brown. Editing on that will be by Mia Darian. And and the thing about being successful, and I use air quotes with that, uh, with that, is that you get to share and everybody gets to benefit. It's not you. It's who you surround yourself with. And everybody gets... Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of helping people who are who are willing to help themselves. So these are all folks who have worked hard to get where they are and worked hard to help me. And uh, I, I am good with sharing the wealth. That's fantastic. And I will definitely promote that for you as well um, when it comes to December 17th, because I think that's really exciting. I knew you were going to have some good stuff coming up here in the works. Um, is there something particular that you're looking forward to most in 2019 besides this series? The, I, I have a, an aggressive schedule to publish 60 books in uh, 2019. I have a uh, cozy mystery series that'll be 24 books long. I was talking with uh, Catherine Hurst, who is uh, doing the heavy lifting on that series this morning regarding where we want to go and and how we want to take the stories and, and shape the flow of the overall uh, 24 book story arc. <clears throat> so uh, we've got that. I've got uh, uh, Metal Legion. I have two different military science fiction series. I have uh, a few of my own series that I'll be continuing. Uh, I have short stories coming out in a number of different anthologies over the next year that I'm writing right now uh, to get those to, to stockpile those. And, and 2019, we've got three conferences. We start off in Bali, uh, January 4 to 6, uh, with a, uh, an intimate con uh, conference of 38 different authors to have good co uh, conversations about the future of publishing. And most of these folks are six and seven figure authors. So it is the right group to talk about how do we scale up, how do we go and make this a, a bigger, better thing. Then uh, in July in Edinburgh, we have that conference, and it's a writing retreat and a conference. That'll be a, a great time to get some words, meet some people, and, and learn what it takes to move forward. And then November, we're back to Vegas for 20 Books Vegas, which is our, uh, our headliner event, our annual headliner event. Registration will open on March 29th for, for that conference. And I expect we'll sell out within a day. Oh my gosh, really? Okay, that's good for me to know. <laughs> I was on the website the other night thinking about it, and I saw that you can already book the hotel. Um, so if you're thinking about going, you guys, you can already book that oh, hotel and you, room. It, It's a total bargain um, to book it, too. So right now they gave us a great rate because we picked an off week. There's nothing else going on in the hotel or Vegas that week. So November 12th to 14th. But uh, yeah, there's a list uh, to sign up to be notified when registration opens. And March 29th, we'll open it up for 850 seats. And, I, and it is the biggest indie conference by far. I think three times the, the next uh, closest conference size. And it'll sell out in a day. That is amazing. That is so inspiring. So I'm really excited for 2019 for you. Um, how can your fans interact with you via social media and kind of stay up to date with your work? Uh, CraigMartell.com, C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E.com. If, if, if it asks you for a password, it's penny as a freeloader, no spaces or, or uh, capitals. Um, I'm kidding about that. Uh, you gotta, I, I do like Big Bang <laughs> Theory. Um, yes. 
<laughs> the uh, there or Facebook, look for me, Craig Martell. Uh, you'll find me uh, and author. Uh, I think Craig Martell, author, author Craig Martell. I forget which one I uh, I put as my Facebook handle for my group page. It's uh, it's all good. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you can find my books on Amazon mostly. The uh, Become a Successful Indie Author is actually wide right now, so you can buy it on Kobo or, or via Apple Books or uh, a couple other retailers as well as Amazon. Oh, wow. Um, so before we go, let's kind of get into some fun questions if you have um, a couple of minutes for that. Um, so my first kind of one, since you live in Alaska, and that kind of fascinates me because it's a wild place, um, what's your favorite part of living in Alaska? It, it is remote and exotic, yet Fairbanks is a big enough town that we can get pretty much whatever we want. And thanks to Amazon Prime, we, we can get whatever we want. The uh, But we're out here. We're out of ways. Uh, we can barely see our neighbors. Uh, we've got plenty of room for uh, our dog, Phyllis the Arctic Dog, to run. And uh, it, it's the air is crystal clear. The snow is white, white, and it stays that way through the winter. It doesn't get uh, pollution on it. Like uh, I, I lived in Moscow, Russia, for a couple years, and it would snow and it would be white and beautiful for about six hours, and then the pollution would settle and it would turn into this this black gray uh, mess. <clears throat> we don't have that up here. It's it, it's pristine and it stays that way. You'll see, uh, you'll see your snow messed up in the yard, and you'll look, and a moose will have walked through and messed up your, your perfect snow, and then they'll, you'll see their prints for the rest of the winter, and uh, uh, they'll eat the willow trees and mess up your, your nice Christmas-looking display, and uh, they'll eat your pumpkins on your porch, and it's all good because, hey, moose, are, they're big, and they're, they're happy animals, and they're just casual and nice to be around. It's, I, I like it up here because people will still help you. If you break down on the side of the road, someone will stop. They're not going to abandon you because, first off, it's Alaska. Everybody has guns, so nobody thinks, oh, my God, what if he has a gun? Everybody has a gun. So you assume <laughs> the person you're helping has one, and, and uh, the person who's helping you has one. And so it's all equal, so they're there to help. Uh, you'll get a ride into town. You'll get a tow, whatever whatever it is, because people still think that way. And, and most importantly, it is kind of hard up here, so... If somebody doesn't help you, you could die because the temperatures are so extreme. Everything is so extreme. So uh, people are naturally more inclined to to be more generous up here. Isn't that funny? Um, I kind of the opposite environment than Alaska. I studied abroad in Australia, and that's the way I felt it was, um, is people were very willing to help you. And I always thought this because there's just kind of that underlying reality that if they don't you know you might die of exposure you could die from a snake yeah. you know <laughs> yeah if you don't help that person they might die and that's kind of a, a different uh mentality than i know that we have here in you know indiana and illinois and places like that that i've lived and just kind of like well they have a cell phone they can yeah yeah oh you illinois know? my god i can't imagine walking along the side of the road in illinois um the uh yeah we have oh, no. we have no snakes up here it's too cold for them and we have no ticks either. My my dog and I spend a lot of time in the woods. We have a ten acre wood behind our house, and uh, and it's okay. We don't have to do a tick search on her when we get back in. <clears throat> That's a real problem too. I mean, I have to give my dogs medicine to make sure that they don't get ticks yeah. over here. We don't have heartworm um, up here because very... if you have a dog, uh, we don't have heartworm because they can't survive the cold. 
Well, that's interesting. See, I've been battling snakes in our yard for the past two years in the summertime, and they just terrify mm. me. So that's actually very enticing. That's that's the opposite of Australia. There's snakes everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just you walk outside and there's just a python in the tree, and it's normal, and no one no one thinks twice about yep. it. You know. Um, well, my, my son my son married um, into Australia. So uh, his 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 daughter is Australian, and his wife is Australian, and so uh, we we have uh, we now get to go to Australia every year. That's amazing. What part of Australia uh, did you go to? Oh, see, I didn't go to Adelaide. I was in New South Wales, kind of all the way from the Gold mm-hmm. Coast, which is in Queensland, yeah. down through like Canberra, and so I I just basically need to keep. Keep going left, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and we like Adelaide, even though it's a town of a million people, which should uh, should be completely overwhelming. It, it seemed very happy and welcoming, and the people seemed happy and uh, had a great farmers market. So we uh, now we we really enjoy going down there, and also I get to see my my son and his family. Yeah, that's beautiful, and it's actually kind of a cooler temper temperature down there, I believe. Oh, we go in the winter, um, so we go from what minus twenty Fahrenheit here to a hundred and ten Fahrenheit there. Yes. Okay, well never mind. That's completely <laughs> different then. <laughs> but once again, you know, people will help you out. People yep, are nice. Yep. Um so kind of to kind of finish up to kind of go back to um some random questions that I've compiled here. Um, <laughs> um, kind of what's your favorite thing about the 20 books to 50 K conference? What'd you say? If you'd asked me that in 2017, after the first one, I would have said the potential for learning, but after 2017 and definitely after 2018, it is simply the energy. When, uh, when you get authors together and you provide, Hey, here's some stuff to think about. Uh, they turn loose and they launch like Titan rockets into the creative atmosphere. And it's the energy. Just so many people are so stoked. Uh, All these introverts who don't have to make small talk, who don't have to worry about being uncomfortable in a social environment because this is your tribe. These are your people. And if you look at 10 people, nine of them are uncomfortable in social environments. So, Hey, you all get to be uncomfortable together. And then you find that you're not uncomfortable. And it's very comfortable because this is your tribe. You're not talking about the weather or, or, or trivia. You're talking about stuff that matters in your life that matters in their lives too. That's fantastic. Are there any um, kind of must-do events to check out while in Vegas? I've never been to Vegas. I should throw I, that out there. I am um, the absolute worst person to ask because uh, when I go there for the conference, I go to the hotel, Samstown, which is not on the Strip, and I stay in the hotel. I didn't even get a rental car last time because I never left the hotel. Because uh, running the conference is, is all-consuming, and it needs to it is the priority of me being there. So I I don't know. I do know. Uh, Michael Anderley <laughs> did pick me up, and and uh, we went out for dinner at Ping Pang Pong, which is in Gold Coast, which is a, a hotel and, and casino. And Ping Pang Pong, it sounds kind of odd. However, it is the best Chinese food I have ever had. So uh, if you ever go there, that's it. I, wherever I go, the tour involves food, so... Yeah, uh, that's what I think about. I'm writing that down right now because I also love Chinese food. So <laughs> it's it's in Gold Coast, a- Ping Pang Pong. It is incredible. Well, I will check that out if I go because yeah, I've never been to Vegas. I've always wanted to go. My friend went to school out there and she loved it. Um, but besides like the big headliners like Lady Gaga and Britney Spears, like I don't know really what there is to yeah. do there. Um, 
And I don't know if I'd want to do either of yeah, those things. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm, I, I don't like the strip just because there's so many damn people and uh, it gives me the willies. Like yeah. you can't believe I live in Alaska for a reason. So uh, that's how I feel about beaches now after studying abroad and then coming back. If I go to like Myrtle beach, which I, I love Myrtle beach. It's beautiful. Um, it's big, big coast. It's wonderful. Um, but when there's so many people packed in, I just kind of, I go back to the hotel. Yeah, I'm, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, time to go like eat a sandwich and watch some TV. Yeah, um, my sister owns a vacation home in Myrtle Beach and she goes down with my parents for three weeks every year. And I can't imagine spending more than about two days there because of so many people. Yeah. My, my family likes to do, I call it the migration, but they, they go for generally a week every year in September, except for this year, they had to change course because of the mm. hurricane was when they were scheduled to go there and they went to Florida oh, okay. instead. So yeah. And so, but that's like the big generational now they go down there and they stay for it. <laughs> one They're at that age, it's, that magical age. <laughs> yeah. You know, my dad's like, every year he's like, can you go? I'm like, I can't take two weeks off of work. And he's like, all right. <laughs> I would love to go to the beach. That would be great. But if you want to change your mind, we're going to be on the beach. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, show up if you want to come. So it's cool. (laughs) Um, And so kind of last fun question that I had, kind of going back to your books before we kind of wrap up here. Um, I don't know if all of your characters have kind of supernatural powers or advantages or more just kind of sci-fi abilities like the Rico bow. Um, If you could have kind of a, a power and ability from your your books, what would you choose? In, in almost all my books, they have animals. And in in most of them, they have the ability to talk to their animals through one reason or another. So I think uh, being able to talk to animals is uh, would be the coolest superpower. And then, and, and I, then I would that find a- that my dog is fixated on sausage. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Really, all the times that I'm like, oh, you want to cuddle? It's like, I just want food. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sausage. <laughs> Yes, exactly. My dog can't have sausage. My husband gave him it once, and I had to take him to the vet. It destroyed his body. (laughs) He only weighs ten pounds. Oh my goodness! (laughs) The vet was like, he can't have sausage. No sausage anymore, ever. None for you. So poor guy. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Craig, for talking to me. I've really like enjoyed this, and um, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me at all, especially at eight a.m. Oh, sure, (laughs) Ashley. Hey, it's no problem. I've only been up for five hours already. I got a lot of stuff done. No, it's uh, uh, early bird gets warm, right? But uh, thank you, and I, uh, I, I I was correct. Uh, This was scheduled for thirty minutes. It's uh, the recording thing says fifty minutes, so uh, I made you run long, and I, I apologize most profanely. (laughs) <laughs> no, I love it. This is great. Like, if, if all the conversations are this good, they can go for 50 minutes and I do, mind, do not mind good at all. Deal, good deal. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ashley. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.